0: Welcome to a special bite-sized edition of Too Much Effing Perspective. I'm your host, Alan Keller. And I'm your co-host, Alex Hoffman. In order to commemorate the 30th anniversary of Nirvana's third and final studio album, In Utero, we dug through the archives of past TMEP shows to serve you servants with some interesting stories about the band and Kurt Cobain from the people who knew them.
1: Yeah, and after the success of their breakthrough album, Nevermind... Kurt wanted to make a more punk album. So the band hired Steve Albini to produce them on the basis of his work on two of Cobain's favorite albums ever, The Pixies, Surfer Rosa, and The Breeders' Pod.
0: However, the record label didn't like the final product, thought it was too raw, and almost forced the band to re-record the whole thing. Yikes. Fortunately, they didn't, because In Utero ended up both a critical and commercial success.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And we're going to get some anecdotes about Kurt from the people who knew him Garbage's Butch Vig, who was also the producer of Nevermind, Brian Ritchie from the Violent Femmes, and Steve Turner from Mudhoney. These are great stories that you probably have not heard before.
0: So sit back and sip your cup of Penaroyal tea as Too Much Effing Perspective salutes the 30th anniversary of Nirvana's In Utero. Our first story comes from fellow grunge rocker, Steve Turner from Mud Honey, who knew Kurt before he became a legend.
2: Um, He was very shy. You know, we did a lot of shows together and we would see each other quite often, but I just couldn't find a way in. We had nothing to talk about, it seemed like. I mean, Nova Selleck, he just wants to talk about Mustang guitars and goofy, weird shit like that. You know, I'd known Chris way before Nirvana started because he was just the dude that was also in the Melvin's van in the mm. early Melvin days and Dave was a super nice guy. He replaced Dan, our drummer. You know, so there's always a little bit of a like mm. <laughs> for Dan anyway. <laughs> wow. Was
1: Dan between Chad Channing and Dave? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even know that.
2: He was in there for like a month or two and they played one show and he recorded one song with them, Grandma Take Me Home song, that's him drumming. So that's where he still gets his uh, Nirvana residuals. (laughs) And he did one photo shoot and one interview in a magazine. He did one of everything with Nirvana.
0: (laughs) That's fascinating. Yeah. Wow. Our next story comes from Violent Femmes bassist Brian Ritchie, who was on tour with Nirvana the moment Kurt Starr began to ascend and saw firsthand the toll it would take on him.
3: They were supporting us on the tour in Australia. It happened because the Australian promoter sent me an advanced copy of Nevermind. Oh, this is the band we want to have on tour with you in Australia. And I, I listened to it, and I was like, oh, that's okay. They sound kind of like the monkeys. I like them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't think about it much beyond that. And then between the time I listened to that cassette and the tour, they had exploded. So here we were in a position where we were touring Australia with the biggest band in the world, opening the show for us. And we told them, you guys are bigger than us now. Do you want to swap slots? And no way, no way, we can't follow you. Because they knew that we were a better live band. So that's how it worked on that tour. But it was also bittersweet because Kurt was obviously having such a hard time and You know, he was in misery aside from the time when he was playing music or listening to us. Cause like he would just set up on stage and he was huddled in a blanket, but he had issues. He was on drugs and I guess he was on drugs because he had pain that he was self-medicating for. So, you know, he wasn't really able to relax and enjoy their success. When success happens instantly... People tend to think, oh, it's because of me, I'm great, you know, or it was inevitable because we are so great. And sometimes people don't realize how lucky they are. And then there was the the intense spotlight that was upon him in particular because people really identify and they think, oh, he's singing about me or how did he read my mind and this kind of stuff. And that's a, a burden for a young guy like Kurt was.
0: Last story comes from Nevermind producer Butch Vig, who perhaps pinpoints the exact moment when the 80s stared into the face
4: of the 90s
0: and realized it had reached its final
4: countdown. You know, the crazy night I had with Nirvana was toward the end of recording Nevermind. We went to see the butthole surfers in L7 at the Palladium in Hollywood. And unbeknownst to me, I think they all took mushrooms Like when we were in the studio, we left around 5 p.m. and Chris drove us over the Hollywood Hills down to the Palladium. And as soon as we got there, they all disappeared. And the next day, we went into the studio and the band didn't show up, didn't show up, didn't show up. And a lot of shit went down that night. And needless to say, I can't really say what happened to everybody, but (laughs) Kurt walked from the Palladium all the way back to the (laughs) hotel in uh, Burbank or North Hollywood, wherever (laughs) we were. They were in some serious pain the next day. But it was a great show. And I think they did that a couple occasions. They decided they wanted to go to Venice Beach and watch the sun come up and just enjoy the moment. You have to remember at the time, Nirvana was dirt poor. And all of a sudden, they got signed to Geffen. They had a credit card. They had per diems. They were actually getting money. They were living large, man. So they fully embraced that. I went over to their apartment, we rented the Oakwood Apartments, which we called the Cokewood Apartments because it was mostly young actors and musicians and the band right across the pool for them was Europe,
3: oh. The Final <laughs> Countdown <laughs> and they
4: were really good looking yeah. guys, all blonde hair, Scandinavia, and they have beautiful girlfriends and here's Nirvana like really scruffy. <laughs> sitting across the pool from them. And uh, it's funny to think about now, but Teen Spirit, when that came out, that kind of was the nail in the coffin for a lot of the hair metal bands that had risen out of the 80s.
1: That might've been the last time that Europe had poolside accommodations, who knows? Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's really amazing to think that Nirvana's last album came out 30 years ago. And their influence still looms so large. I mean, who were they? The Beatles? Oh, I can't believe I just said that. All we need is to get Alan going down another Beatles rabbit hole. Let's wrap this up fast. <laughs> Listeners, if you enjoy these stories from Mudhoney's Steve Turner, Brian Ritchie from The Violent Thames, and Butch Big from Garbage, then you'll really love the full episodes with each of these guests on Too Much Effing Perspective. You can find them wherever you listen to podcasts. So please follow us on instagram at tmep show and join our mailing list at our website that's tmepshow.com. and stay tuned my co-host alan keller and i will be back next week with more
0: stories of music mayhem on too much effing perspective although it would be as great as having armadillos in our trousers this podcast is not affiliated with This is Final Tap and no person or entity connected with the film has sponsored or endorsed its content. This podcast is not affiliated, sponsored, or licensed by Authorized Spinal Tap LLC or Century of Progress Productions.
1: Too Much Effing Perspective is a Milwaukee Talkies original.
0: Hey you, do you have any plans this year? <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020 Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020'd, where myself, Benny Goodman,
3: Evergreen Podcast Network.